funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious or not. We deserve this win, man. Fox Sports 5 flying high in Motown. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, and then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like that's that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Bryant West on here, as we always do, recording right after the draft. The draft's actually still going on. Uh, Sharif Cooper, 48, just went to Atlanta. Um, but it seems like Sacramento news is done for the night. How are you feeling, Bryant? Um, I'm, I'm struggling to understand this pick a little bit. Um, but let's w- welcome in our friend Tim Maxwell first uh, before we dive into the uh, selection. Um our buddy Tim Maxwell, everybody knows him. Sacktown Baby Draft. How you doing, Tim? Good. I feel a little shafted by Brendan, to be honest. He just just wanted your opinion and didn't even want to tell people I was here. Um, yeah, I'm doing well. Um, I think we're all kind of in the same boat in a in a in a little bit of a confused state as to where the Kings are headed and and why they um, made this decision. But I, I we've got a lot to talk about. Um, but just like you, Brian, I am just kind of confused. It was yeah, the natural I, flow of the introduction, Tim. It's nothing personal. <laughs> I, I feel personally attacked. It's like you've never been on this show before. This is how he always does it. It's been a while. Gotta, <laughs> I've been busy. I think, I honestly, I, yeah, I honestly <laughs> think the last time you were on here was uh, after the uh, after the trade deadline, and uh, we just lambasted Monty McNair's uh, trade deadline choices. So uh, that's what we're doing today. Guess what we're doing today. The Kings did something we didn't like. Let's get Tim on so we can piss off yeah. all the fans and I mean, rile people up. Okay, so okay. let's get right to it, right? Pick nine. All right, let's set the stage. Cade goes first, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley. Expected top three. Um, Scotty Barnes goes four, but then Jalen Suggs goes five. So it's your expected top five, right? After that is where things get weird, and, and we knew that it was possible it gets weird here. Um, Josh Giddy goes six to OKC. Jonathan Kuminga is taken off the board for the Warriors. My heart's broken with Franz Wagner going eight to Orlando. Um, what is on your mind here, Tim, when Sacramento comes to the clock at nine? I thought for sure it was Moody Shangun. I mean, um, the Kings had been linked to Wagner for a long, long time, and we knew he might go eight. That was kind of we kind of saw that come out earlier in the day and even yesterday. And we had also seen every major outlet, Sports Illustrated, ESPN, The Athletic, The Ringer, all started shifting Sacramento to Shangun, um, really starting yesterday and continuing today. And in, in fact, Sam Viceni of um, The Athletic uh, switched to Shangun right before the draft happened. And it, you know, everyone talked about analytics and he was kind of, he had a really good workout in Sacramento. And every, every draft, mock draft, kind of read the same as if they had heard this from a source. Um, and I think tonight was 
good evidence of, you know, mock drafters are very connected. They're very smart people, a lot of them, and they still don't always know what's going to happen. So I, I was convinced it was probably Shangun with, with Moody kind of hanging out in the background. Um, obviously, I was very mistaken in both where Moody and Shangun would go and what the Kings would do. Uh, Bryant, where were you with it? Yeah, I was sitting there convinced that we were about to get one of uh, Moses Moody or Sangoon. Um, but before we uh, get any more uh, pessimistic than we already are and turn off anybody who's listening, let me just let me get the optimistic spiel out of the way because I think that uh, it would be underselling the player that Davion Mitchell is if we just uh, droned on and on about the guys that we wanted and why we were disappointed with his pick. Davion Mitchell is a very good basketball player. And more than that, he is uh, an amazing uh, on on the court and off the court leader. He was the heart and soul of a championship team at Baylor this year. Um, He was the driving force of one of the better squads in recent college basketball history uh, in terms of productivity, tenacity, and safe draft outcome. I see why teams were so high on him. you know, it, w- when you just look at his numbers, he makes a ton of sense for pretty much any team that is desperate to make the playoffs. And we know that the Kings uh, absolutely are. At Baylor this year, he scored 14 points, 2.7 rebounds, 5.5 assists, 1.9 steals, shot 51% from the field, 44% from three, and 65% from the free throw line. And honestly, he is one of, if not the best point of attack defenders in this class. He plays defense with amazing tenacity. Um, Honestly, Kings fans are going to love him from the moment that he uh, jumps into summer league. Uh, He's going to be a California classic hit. So I, I completely understand anybody being a fan of this selection. My my concerns are outside of the dude, because like I said, I really like Davion Mitchell. Um, I wish he had been drafted a little later so that I could have been a massive draft fan of him. Cause I know that I speak for Brendan here when this is the type of dude, a defensive first uh, high instinct guard. Like those are the kinds of guys we gravitate to. We love. Um, I love Davion Mitchell, the dude. I like Davion Mitchell, the player. I do not much care for Davion Mitchell the fit in terms of how he fits with the Kings roster, um, especially since the Kings two best core pieces moving forward are De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. Um, And I really do not care for the pick in terms of the value. Um, I, I know that Davion Mitchell was very high on quite a few smart people's boards. Um, I know that our, friend and mentor Jerry Reynolds was incredibly high on Davion Mitchell and we should all uh, hope to learn from Jerry at every opportunity. I just can't get there. I had him 17th on my big board. Um, I do not love the fit with Fox and Halliburton just because, you know, if, if you're bringing him in to be this core piece moving forward, uh, you're either going to be bringing him off the bench or, uh, full-time or you're going to be trying to play meaningful big minutes with a three-guard lineup and not just a three-guard lineup. Like this is a lot smaller than any of the three-guard lineups the Kings have run in recent years. Like Mitchell is 6'1 with a 6'4 wingspan and tenacity can get you uh, far in the NBA, but I, he has a long way to go to, I think, match up with the uh, drafts 
slot the Kings just took him at. I want to stay with the optimism, optimistic take of of Mitchell for a second um, and and just say that I think that Sacramento fans are really going to enjoy watching him play. Um, Not the guy I would have taken at nine, obviously, but I think that, you know, you talk about needing some energy and some accountability and leadership on the floor. I I think that Mitchell's a guy that brings that. Um, You mentioned the point of attack defense. I think that's a skill that Sacramento doesn't really have uh, checked right now. You know, I don't think Fox or Halliburton are particularly good at that. Uh, Fox has the potential, but hasn't been so far. Um, And and on the offensive end with those three guards, like I don't think you have any fit problems. Um, You know, I think that Mitchell has some good explosiveness to him with a first step, um, some flashes of okay space creation. I think that Mitchell has a decent upside as an offensive player. Um, You know, uh, there are questions about his shot that I know you're a little bit skeptical that this could be an outlier year for Mitchell. Um, But I, I do think he's at very least a respected shooter. The question is if these elite numbers are real because you know, 91st percentile in catch and shoot this year for synergy, 93rd percentile on all jump shots, also 72% around the rim. Like on offense, I don't think there's any questions with this fit really. Um, But yes, the issue is, you know, I think the best skill of Davion Mitchell is his defense. And that is again, point of attack on guards. Um, When like Mitchell has to, if you're running a three guard lineup, Mitchell has to be the one guarding threes. And I think that's just limiting his defensive ceiling and putting him in uh, non-ideal situations when it comes to um, his defensive assignments. And you're kind of just limiting his best ability. So that, that's where you really lose me. Um, but Tim, I mean, like they have to run these three guard lineups this year, right? I don't see how you can't um, talking to someone today after the draft. And they said, I'm really excited to watch Mitchell play, but I'm not sure when I'm going to get to watch him play. Because, I mean, do you guys think he's going to start? I don't think he gets start. No way. Right? No way. Like, so if, if he does, we're going to be rioting because it probably means that Halliburton's on the bench. Like, well, that's what he's, and he's not going to start over Halliburton because, I mean, yeah. let's be honest, Halliburton was better than him last year in college and he's younger. Yeah. So unless Luke Walton does some Luke Walton wacky. shenanigans. Yeah. So, I mean, he can, cl- <laughs> you can close. Closing with a three-guard lineup is different than opening with a three-guard lineup, right? Like teams, end of game, especially in close game situations, tend to move towards a smaller, more versatile, higher, you know, better shooting lineups. We've seen that across the NBA over the last half decade. So they can play together. And and to your guys' point, um, just regarding optimism, um, this is not a Euros Papianis pick, right? This is not a a Justin Jackson pick, although he was an okay pick at the time. I think Davion Mitchell is going to be a quality NBA player. Like we, like you've said, I don't want to belabor the point too much. It's just a matter of fit and where he's going to fit into this core with De'Aaron Fox, who is a point guard, and Tyrese Halliburton, who kind of is a point guard, and then Davion Mitchell, who is a point guard. Um, so they're going to have to play three guard lineups. Um, the semi-good news for them is that Harrison Barnes is a – pretty solidly built four. Um, he's not the biggest four in the world, but he's a, you know, he can shoot, he can move, he can play both forward positions. And then the real question mark I have going next, and this is going down a little bit down the rabbit hole is what happens with Rashawn Holmes, because if you lose Rashawn Holmes, I know Rashawn Holmes isn't a great rim protector, but you are going to need some quality rim protection if you are running a small three guard lineup, because 
um, none of Halliburton, Fox, or or Mitchell are particularly large guards. Um, Halliburton probably being the largest. So you're you're definitely going to have to run three guard lineups. And the the other thing that we really really have to pray and hope for is that Mitchell's shot translates. Great three point shooting year last year. Great field goal percentage. Um, not such a great free throw percentage. And historically, he hasn't been a great shooter. So if, if his three point shot can translate to even like league average above league average, the Kings have a lot more room to breathe. Um, with this selection yeah uh, i'll just emphasize the shot concerns here because i think uh, i'm much more worried about his offensive fit than his defensive fit because uh, if that shot's not real i don't know that i love the fit in a three-guard lineup with De'Aaron fox and tyrese halliburton um, he shot 44 percent from the free th- three-point line last year but the two previous years he shot a combined 31 percent um, and throughout his three years in college, he had one transfer year, so that doesn't count. But across those three years that he did play, he stayed in the mid-60s for free throw line. So his shot definitely is a concern to me. I I, I do worry that last year was a bit of a flash in a pan, uh, and the longer NBA line is going to make that a tighter um, constraint for that skill. He needs to be able to shoot to fit on this team. Um but I agree with you that uh, Kings took these guys because they envision opportunities to play all three of them on the court. And honestly, in a vacuum, um, I love the fit of having Davion Mitchell behind De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. I think that those three guys are all going to make each other better. Um, I absolutely love the tenacity that Mitchell plays with. And I think he's really going to fit well with Halliburton. I think, uh, the three of them are going to be uh, fast friends, and and that has some impact on that locker room, as we get told over and over. You got to have a healthy locker room, but at nine, in a draft with so many promising wings and forwards, and even a couple bigs, I'll, I'll give a nod to the Sangunis out there. It just really is surprising to me that with your best offseason asset the dude you're going to take is a likely backup combo guard. Even a dude as tenacious, as great in the locker room, somebody that you really hope comes in and sets the tone on defense. I just, I do not get taking him over Moses Moody, Zaire Williams, Sengun, on and on. So, So aside from the people that we could have taken, because I think that that's something that we could like, hammer home all night like I was super disappointed obviously um but like let's talk about the upside of Mitchell because I think the floor is what you just sort of mentioned right like I think a good backup point guard in the league um I I think Mitchell could be that for a really long time in this league I'd be surprised if he wasn't at least that um but I agree his upside like I mean he has upside to be a high level starter right like elite role player upside no elite role player upside yeah um you know people keep talking about all these uh, defense to first role player guards. Um, and, and I definitely think that Mitchell's a dude who I would bet the most out of both his skill set and his size. Um, and, and is the ceiling there a, a really good uh, role playing starter? Absolutely. Concern is just all about finding a meaningful rotation on a great playoff team that fits those three guards and and i pray the kings figure that out because um if they balance 
De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, and Davion Mitchell and get the best out of all three of those dudes, like that's probably one of the most fun guard combinations you could possibly hope for. I just, I, I struggle to believe that that was the best use of that asset in terms of just launching Sacramento's rebuild forward in a meaningful way. But maybe Mitchell comes in, really sets the tone on defense, really changes the locker room, brings the best out of De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, and we're all laughing at our pessimism in a couple of years. But, you know, uh, Tim said earlier that Davion Mitchell's not a Papa Giannis uh, pick, and I agree in terms of talent. It's not even close, but I have not been this surprised by a Kings draft pick since uh, that draft, so I will say that. Yeah, and the upside on defense is obviously the elite on-ball defense, and, you know, I'll say – their game against Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma State, like his defensive assignment is Cade Cunningham, 6'8", and he did a damn good job on him. He wasn't just getting overpowered or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there needs to be some, compar- compa- some comparable players um, at his size that are able to guard up to, to threes. And is there really guys in the NBA that stand out to you around Mitchell's size, Tim, of six one and a half six two that are really able to guard up up to threes uh yeah we talked about this a little bit uh before we started recording um a little bit bigger like your your hope is a drew holiday drew holiday's bigger and has a bigger wingspan um eric bledsoe pat beverly uh there are a few of those players out there um they're all i think bigger than mitchell except for maybe beverly so Mitchell, I don't remember if we've mentioned Mitchell's wingspan yet, but he's he's six one and a half with a six four wingspan. So he's got a plus wingspan, which is good. But a six four wingspan is is not gargantuan. Um, I have a bigger wingspan than Davion Mitchell. I'm also taller, so that helps. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I don't know if that's the orange is there, but um, yeah, it's it's just a matter of you know you can have point of attack defenders that do really well even with shorter wingspans. Um, a singular concern about just I have about his defense in general is not actually about Mitchell. It's about his role on the Kings, because if he's not starting, that means he's typically going to be playing with backups from the other team. Right. So if Davion Mitchell, let's just say he becomes this excellent, like top of the line point guard, shooting guard defender, but he's coming in off the bench seven minutes into the game. He's not playing against the Damian Lillards and Steph Curry's and, and Trey Young's he's playing against the Corey Joseph's and the DeLon Wright's and the whoever's so I I, that's just another question about the fit is even if Mitchell is becomes this you know defensive juggernaut for point guards and shooting guards and even some small forwards at least for the probably the first half three quarters of the game he's not even going to be facing those guys yeah they have to believe that they can play all three of these guys together for like you're saying closing minutes or at least long stretches I I don't want to make this uh i just want to point out because everybody keeps talking about comparisons um mitchell is six one point five in shoes six four wingspan um everybody keeps comparing him to marcus smart and it's just marcus smart is six three but a six nine wingspan and he's got he had 20 pounds over mitchell at his combine at like pretty sure he was two years younger he'd only played two years at oklahoma state um drew holiday six four in shoes, six seven wingspan. The the real comparison here is like Mike Conley. Mike Conley's a little shorter than Mitchell with a six five wingspan. So, I think we have to realistically understand the type of player we're getting um, before we start. Pat uh, Pat Beverly 
is the clear comparison here. And if the Kings just drafted Pat Beverly at nine, like I, I, I understand it. Um, but I still wouldn't think that's fantastic use of the asset when your two best players are guards. So, yeah, Beverly six, one with a six, seven wingspan. Um, I think Bledsoe six, one with a six, eight wingspan. Conley, you mentioned six, one with a six, five wingspan. And I think Kyle Lowry too, six foot with a six, two wingspan. Um, but none of those guys outside of, outside of Beverly, um, have ever like really guarded threes that well, I feel like. Um, and, and Beverly only did it for random stretches throughout his career, you know? So I think that, um, you have to hope that you're putting Mitchell on whatever their best um, ball handler is an initiator. So he can be a point of attack defender and you're kind of just trying to hide Halliburton, I guess. Um, and, and that leads me to, I mean, this entire guard rotation, like there was a rumor earlier in the day that Buddy Heald seemed like he was going to be moved for Kyle Kuzma, Montrezl Harrell, and potentially the 22nd overall pick that ends up not going through and um, Kyle Kuzma, KCP, Montres Harrell, the 22nd pick, all go to the Wizards for Russell Westbrook. Um, but now you look at the guards on this team. I mean, we mentioned Fox Halliburton, Davion Mitchell, obviously. Um, there's DeLon Wright. Buddy Heald is still on this team as of now. Terrence Davis could return. Um, I, I mean, what do you think needs to happen? Are there, future, are there clearly more moves that need to be done to figure out this guard rotation, Tim? Yeah, you, you, I think DeLon Wright's fine. All right, you need four guards. You probably need even a fifth emergency guard for injury, but I think DeLon Wright's fine. I, I would be okay moving him in the right package, and I think he's also fine to stay. Um, Mitchell is going to be a smaller rookie point guard in the league, and as much as I think he's going to be a quality NBA player, rookie point guards, small rookie point guards also tend to struggle. Um, so I think Wright can be a, a good safety valve for him. Buddy, on the other hand, ha- he has to go. He, Buddy's dream, and I know this doesn't necessarily affect a whole lot, but Buddy's dream for his entire career, he really, 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 really wanted to get drafted by the Lakers. You know, his hero is Kobe. I imagine today he was ecstatic that, you know, he was frankly getting away from Sacramento. He wasn't going to have to come off the bench behind a second-year player. And, you know, this, that, and the other thing, I imagine he was ecstatic, and I can't blame him for being ecstatic for one, for potentially going to get to go play with Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and the Lakers, and, you know, compete for a championship. And now he's back in Sacramento behind Tyrese Halliburton and potentially behind Davion Mitchell. Um, that situation is not going to end well. He's, he's overpaid. Um, I don't think he fits the roster anymore with the way he's going to push back, I assume on being a sixth or seventh man off the bench. Um, So you have to trade buddy. Terrence Davis can play like the two, three role. If he comes, I mean, I'm not going to get into the off court stuff, but just from an on court perspective, if he comes back, I think that's okay. as like, again, emergency depth. Um, But the Mitchell addition does make it a little bit easier to allow him to walk in free agency. If he does get an offer that the Kings aren't comfortable with. So there definitely does need to be some more roster shuffling. And um, just as a side note, I, I do think we have to be careful and I have to be careful. Um, I was really disappointed that the buddy trade fell through and nothing came of that. We all also expected Marvin Bagley to be traded today. And there wasn't even like, no one mentioned Marvin Bagley at all from any report. And I think there was some um, like hangover disappointment from that heading into draft night. And then we got a guy that we weren't expecting. And so probably have to, at least I have to limit my, 
um, like emotional register of, okay, I was disappointed about Buddy. I was disappointed about Bagley. I wanted the 22nd pick. And now I also didn't get a guy I wanted. So that all can combine a little bit. Um, but yeah, the Kings, the Kings definitely have to shed some guards because there's just, we have, it's like it's like the opposite of Vladi Divac, right? Vladi Divac just compiled big men constantly, and Amani Pinar seems to be constantly piling piling up guards and, and shooting guards. Well, I think the good news is is that it's going to take Davion Mitchell like five minutes into the California Classic to make everybody love him. Like it doesn't matter how yeah. how much we question him as a selection or as an asset or fit on this roster, like the dude is going to uh, capture Sacramento's heart immediately um so uh, i i agree tim that we should not take uh, any disappointment on today at all out on him um but it, i also know that uh he is going to be a fan favorite very quickly yeah definitely is um and the second pick that the kings took at 39 um the name here is nemeus kita who played at uh, at uh, Utah State? And nope. You said you said did, it wrong. did I get it wrong? Nemeus. Nemeus. There we go. Nemeus Kata. Thank you. Thank you. Nemeus Kata. Uh, Utah State. He just finished his junior year. He is seven foot with I saw a seven three wingspan. Uh, seven four. Seven four. There we go. Um, Fourteen point nine points. 10.1 rebounds, nearly three of those are offensive on 55% from the field, um, did not shoot threes, 70% from the line, along with 2.7 steals, 3.3 blocks, and 1.1 steals. Um, I mean, it's it's a guy that, you know, is, is clearly a big-time rim protector and good finisher at the rim. I, I think there was um, and is going to be some – adjustment to the NBA with just adjusting the physicality, like all big men really have. Um, but I, I think it's, it, it's interesting. I mean, how do you feel about using the second round pick on a big man here, Tim? I, I know you're kind of against drafting bigs. Is that just towards the first round and in the lottery? Yeah, that's towards the first round. And ironically, I wanted to draft Shangoon, right? I was um, going to so say Tim was fully on the Shangoon Sen- bandwagon. You know, honestly, I think part of it was me. I just knew we weren't going to take Moody because Moody was just such a a nice selection for the Kings fans. Like, and we just never take that guy. Um, it seems so. Um, you know, I, I'm totally fine taking take. I'm all about upside in the second round. Like, don't take the safe pick. Take take whoever you think has the highest ceiling. Take big risks because that's that's really where you find your your diamonds in the second round. Um, he's, um, I, I, after the Kings made the selection, I'm not going to pretend that I like scouted him heavily before the draft. I did not, um, after the Kings took him, I probably took 20 minutes to go read some scouting reports from some reliable people and watched a little bit of tape. Um, he's really big. Um, I will fully admit, I do not have a bigger wingspan than him. Uh, not even close. Uh, but he's big, he blocks shots, um, good rebounder, and he's actually a pretty decent passer for his size and position. He also turns the ball over a lot. So there's there's probably just like a lot of raw skill there. And he's going to be one of those guys, and this is going to sound dumb, but he either makes it or he doesn't. You know, like I don't think he's going to hang around for a long time. He's either going to establish himself as, as a real prospect and flourish, or he'll probably be out of the league in a couple of years. Um, because there is a lot of rawness there. If he can get refined, you know, we do have Rico Hines, who's, who's a highly respected player, de- uh, player development person. 
Um, if he can get with Rico and just really work on his skills and his ability and his court awareness, um, you know, he could become like a third big for the Kings. They don't have a lot of big man depth right now. You got Rashawn Holmes pending free agent, Marvin Bagley almost certainly gone by the end of next season. You got Metu and Jones who are kind of just like journeymen, um, probably not your rotational bigs that you want. Um, and I, I think that's all of our big men. So yeah, he, he can come in. He's going to have a shot. He'll, I think he'll be really fun in summer league with Mitchell. Um, just those two playing off of each other. I think that'll be a lot of fun. So I, I have no issues with the pick. Um, there are probably a couple of guys there that, you know, someone else would have taken more than Kata, but I mean, I, I'm not going to freak out too much over the 39th pick in the draft of or a guy I haven't done a ton of scouting report on. How do you feel about it, Brian? I like I like the selection. I understand it. He was definitely a guy I had my eye on if they uh, felt they needed another big man. And he's one of the better rim protectors in the class. Um, I do think that, like Brandon said, there is going to be a transition to the NBA on both ends of the court. Um, he's clearly a good rim protector. Um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I watched more than two Utah State games this year. Um, but he's definitely going to have to uh, adjust to the speed of the game. And I do worry uh, how he'll get handled in space, but for a backup big man, that's a meaningless concern almost um, clearly a good rebounder. Uh, it, perfect size for a center um, um, offense. It's going to be a bit of a transition. Like Utah state was a moderately slow paced team that did so much of their offense in the half court. Um, and over 50% of his uh, play types were on post-ups. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how he adjusts on both ends of the court. But he's a fine gamble in the second round. Um, and especially if the Kings have any hesitation about their big man core, like adding another great rim protector is, isn't ever a bad idea for the worst defensive team in the league. Yeah, and and I think that um, there is reason to be skeptical about their big man rotation. Uh, reasons Tim mentioned, like uh, I wouldn't mind Keita getting minutes over Damian Jones. You know, like Jones and Metu were your backup bigs for stretches last year. Um, and I've been saying, you know, replacement level centers should be fairly obtainable, but Sacramento has kind of struggled with that a little bit. Hassan Whiteside example. Um, so I, I don't mind this. Like, there's a clear need on the roster. Um, but I'll say, like, you know, Tim, you were kind of saying you, you really like an upside pick. I, I don't think that's what Keita is. Um, like, I, I think there's a decent upside as a um, a good bench big man, you know, maybe a low-level low, uh, starting center, you know, that is still fairly replaceable in the league. Um, but I, I think there were some interesting upside swings. Like, I think Jared Butler kind of weirdly falls no. into that. I, I shouldn't say no. upside swing no. there. No, 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 no. BJ Boston is the upside swing. But, like <laughs> – Butler has a clearly higher upside than Keita. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's just that I had Butler like way higher than this. Like I thought Butler was really falling. Butler was the second highest player left on my board. Kessler Ed Edwards was higher. I would have preferred him. The reason I'm saying no, 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 no. We have what? Seven guards on this roster now. Yeah. Six, of, six of them meaningful. Mm -hmm. Like do something else with the, with the second round pick. Yeah. So what do you think of BJ Boston and Kessler Edwards? Those are like the main two. I was kind of, on. yeah. Kessler Edwards was the dude I was eyeing. I think he would have been a, a very smart. Uh, uh, I, I hate using three and D here, but like he, he's a good floor spacer. Was great off the catch and was a really decent uh, 
help defender and individual defender last year. I thought he would have been a great upside for a team that uh, – how many small forwards do we have on this roster, guys? Oh, Two, God. three, maybe four. And, is you, that true? Like, I think guys that can no, play small forward. No, I, I think Tim's making – Tyrese Halliburton has now a small forward. Congratulations, Tyrese. Davion Mitchell is is pretty much a I put I put that on the T for Tim and I was still and I was still upset when he took it. Well Yeah, Yeah, we don't have we we don't have any small forwards. Yeah. We're weirdly enough centers. Um, I, I I think both picks you can understand both picks. These aren't these aren't insane picks. And I can even talk myself into them. So I, what do you, I, you know? I, what do you I think just, this teaches us about McNair? Like, <laughs> is it just how much he's valuing defense? Because both of these guys are really high defensive level prospects. Well, great. I I, I agree that Davion Mitchell is probably the best point of attack defender in this class. Um, I would argue that you know maybe Jared Springer is. Uh, four years younger and uh, will probably be nearly as good in a couple of years and probably a better offensive player and bigger. Um, I think this shows that he wants to win now. Um, I think this shows that he may identify this team really needing um, uh, a locker room leader uh, and, and somebody who can really set the tone on defense. I'm going to stop saying that line now because I hate it. I just, I, it, what? that Monty McNair just doesn't care about positional log jams. So that's kind of what it tells me. Uh, I think it tells me the, the vibe I've gotten from Monty and I have no information to this. I've always felt like he's like a, a single path guy. Like he, and I, I have no proof of this, but like the bogey trade fell apart. The so bogey walked. The Kings decided to, they didn't want to participate in the off season for whatever last, for whatever reason last off season. So they just completely punted. Then the Kings decided they wanted to compete, so there was no way they were trading anyone at the deadline, no matter what. We need win now, guys. Right? Then he decided, clearly, I think, and we, we've known this, that the Kings decided they needed defense, so they're just going to draft the best defender at that position, you know, fit be damned. And that's, that's just kind of the vibe I get from him. I, I could be totally off on that. They could have had a thousand paths open to them, and this is just the one they, they chose. But there just seems to be the sense to me that he, he sets a path in front of him and he just follows that path to the end. And it's, it's not even necessarily a criticism on my part. Um, like Bryant said, he, he, it's evident he thought the Kings needed to improve their defense and they did tonight. Um, I, I would go back to Monty and say, then why did you keep Luke Walton if you felt like you needed to improve your defense? But that's another episode for another time. Um, and I, I think we can also say relatively confidently that in the lottery for the two lottery picks that we've seen Monty select, he's chosen in his mind or in his world, I would say probably talent over fit. Right. And I know there's always the classic like BPA versus fit argument. I don't think Mitchell was the clear BPA favorite. You know, people are like, well, we didn't draft Luca because of BPA or fit. And it's like, well, that's a totally different scenario, right? Like that's I like a like generational player. I feel like he had to feel like he was BPA. No, I, th- I think he yeah. did. I think, I think Monty McNair did feel he was BPA. I'm just saying like, I don't think, I don't, no one, 
no draft expert, Twitter draft expert, TV, whoever was looking at the ninth pick and being like, oh, the Kings have to take Mitchell. I can't believe he uh, fell, yeah. right? Like if Kuminga had slid, maybe. Maybe you're thinking, right? If Suggs had slid, you're, you're thinking that. If Green or Mobley or whoever had slid, you're thinking that. But I think Monty definitely thought Mitchell was BPA. Mm-hmm. And so he drafted him. And I think we're seeing that. Halliburton, now Halliburton was different last year in that he slid and it was unexpected and everyone was going, I can't believe no one's taking Halliburton. And the Kings took him. And I think he fits well with Fox, but now that he's taken two point guards or two guards, two primary secondary ball handlers alongside De'Aaron Fox, I think we're seeing that that's kind of his draft, his draft philosophy, which I don't necessarily disagree with from a team that won 31 games last year. Uh, I agree that there weren't any uh, national draft dudes who were saying that Sacramento really needed to take Davion Mitchell, but I'll just point out again that, uh, Jerry Reynolds absolutely thought they should. Yeah, there were definitely people that thought Mitch. I don't think that, you know, if McNair did think he was best player available, I don't think he was the only person in the world. You know, I yeah, may, may definitely not have been a popular not. opinion, but definitely have some people that agree with that. And I think there is a world where this pick works out well. Um, it's definitely not the direction I would have gone. I, I can't tell you how much I wish my reaction was recorded. I think I just screamed, no, there's no way they did that. Um over and over and um yeah so i'm just trying to accept it and you know i i do really the way that i can find pieces i really am going to enjoy find, watching donovan or donovan mitchell gosh i can't believe i did that ah, i can't man. believe well, I one it. of us one of us was going to do it at some point but i'm really going to enjoy watching davion um summer league's going to be great I, I think that you know we we had to watch a whole lot of games of Corey joseph the last couple years and there was oh. a lot of complaining going on. And Davion is a much more enjoyable watching experience. Um, some defensive intensity. So not even some. There's a whole lot of defensive intensity. Um, I, I want to talk about, real quick, Charlotte. Um, Charlotte traded for Mason Plumlee today. And then they also drafted Kai Jones. Uh, Tim, can you break down the finances of taking on Plumlee for me um, with when it comes to Charlotte and the home situation a little bit? If yeah, you know uh, it, I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, no, I I, I don't know the like dollar specific like three thirteen thousand thirteen million whatever dollars, but I know the general um, general part of it. Yeah, so um, we've known that there are really three teams that are probably going to be in competition, or at least could be in competition for Rashawn Holmes services this summer: Dallas Mavericks, Toronto Raptors, and the Charlotte Hornets. Um, when the Charlotte Hornets made their trade earlier today, they took Plumlee into their cap space. Um, I don't remember exactly how much cap space they had at the start of the night, but that's one of the reasons they were a team that could threaten for Holmes because they had far more than the basic contract that the Kings could offer at early bird rights around $12 million a year. Um, by taking on Plumlee, um, they used up a good chunk of their cap space and now they only have about 13 million left. So um, if you think about it, which is from like a roster logical financial perspective, we know the Hornets want to be good next year with, with ball and, and the additions they made today. Um, and if they traded for Plumlee, I'm guessing they're thinking Plumlee will be the short-term starting setter and he can take Kai Jones under his wing and, you know, bring him along in the league and be his mentor. It would be really weird for them to trade their cap space or about half their cap space for a, for Plumlee draft Kai Jones and then spend the rest of their cap space on another center. So um, just from Sacramento's perspective, we saw the report come out, I believe it was yesterday, the day before that league sources think Rashawn is staying in Sacramento which means that the the free agent market for him is probably cooler than he was hoping. We know that the Mavericks are pursuing 
uh, much higher caliber players than Rashawn. Not that Rashawn Holmes is bad, but they're looking for stars. Um, we know the, Rap- the Raptors are kind of in a weird spot with Lowry. We're not sure, really, really sure what's going on with their team. Um, but that trade and that draft pick should signal to Kings fans, you know, that's, that's one more team off of the market that would be threatening for Rashawn Holmes. That greatly increases the chance, chances of Rashawn Holmes returning to the Kings. And even more importantly, it might allow them to sign him to the early bird rights. Um, I don't want to go too in-depth in the numbers here, but that would allow them to stay over the cap which would open up the MLE, which is a, a contract they could offer starting at about $10 million a year for four years and the biannual exception, which would offer them um, another contract with about two years, around $9 million. So um, all that to say, the Hornets trade was very good for the Kings in their desire to keep Rashawn Holmes, which you know they really, really desire to do so. And this hopefully will allow them to do that without having to go under the cap like Bryant so desperately wants to do. <laughs> if the market for Rashawn Holmes completely dries up, I'm not too worried about how much they're going to have to pay him. Yeah, early bird rights should get it done. I think at this point, I'm yeah. I'm I'm growing more confident in that. Um, if if they feel really confident that they're getting Rashawn Holmes back, Rashawn Holmes isn't going to respond to them like, "Oh yeah, I'm probably coming back." If he thinks he's going to get an 18 million dollar deal on the market. Um, if he's, if his agents and his representation are saying that the market is cold and he's not going to get more than early bird rights, he probably comes back to the Kings and says, yep, I'll probably take that. And that's where we see these conversations happening and these reports coming out from Stein and Lowe and others who have been involved. Yeah. And no secret Holmes really needs to come back. If the team wants a chance at being better than they were this last season. Um, and, and I think a guy that for a second we thought might be a Holmes replacement, earlier today um, and, and even I, I believe yesterday the whispers kind of started of this buddy healed for Kyle Kuzma Montres Harold deal and potentially pick 22 thrown in there um, KCP could have been used as the matching salary instead of Kuzma but it didn't seem like there was ever too much public traction on that account um, but you know right after Montres Harold picked up his player option which kind of seemed like what the trade was waiting on was tweeted that uh now that Harrell has picked this up, this deal can can continue conversation or or something like that. But it, the impression I got was, oh, okay, this deal is about to happen. It's everything but but finalized, um, and, and then it falls through. But that initial package, like, is that the sort of level package you're looking for for Heald? Let's say without the pick, um, Kyle Kuzma and Montres Harrell. Like to me, I, I'm taking that package for Buddy Heald. And, and running away with it pretty quick. And I actually think it's a good deal for LA. I think it's time to move on from Buddy. I, I think that Sacramento needs more wing depth, obviously. I think Kuzma really showed a lot as a defender last year. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to fit and I'm just ready to move on from Buddy Heald and, and some of his defensive issues, even if he does have offensive capabilities. So I, I was really good with that sort of level of value for Heald. Um, is that the type of turn that you're that you're looking for for Buddy Bryant? Um, I, I I was a little surprised that, uh, that the 22nd pick was going to be in there. Like I honestly thought the pick was the best asset coming back to Sacramento. I am not a big Kyle Kuzma fan, uh, but even without the pick, I understood it because it was somewhat of a reset on Sacramento's cap space. Not for this year, but it would have helped out next year when Montrezl Harrell's. Um, space ran, uh, cap space ran out, but I think all this does is prove that there are there is going to be somewhat of a market for Buddy Hield. It's not just going to be completely barren. Um, now I'm disappointed that a deal didn't get done today of all days. 
um, because it limits a little bit what Sacramento can do uh, throughout the offseason. Like they're not going to be able to prioritize whatever pick they wanted if they were going to be able to get a pick back for Buddy. But um, yeah, you know, I think that would have been a fine return for Buddy Hield. Uh, and if all that does is show that there are going to be teams out there that would like to get Buddy, I think that's a fine outcome. But uh, honestly, it really does feel like the Lakers were using the Kings as real leverage against uh, the Wizards. And uh, yeah, Russell Westbrook in Los Angeles is going to be uh, hilarious to to laugh at. Yeah, I don't I don't agree with the Westbrook fit in LA, but you know LeBron wants the big names. Um, as as far as Buddy Hield's market goes, I don't necessarily agree that it's clear that there's a market. I think there was a team with interest. Um, but that team dried up and the Lakers needed shooting more than any other team in the league. They were the, they ranked 15 out of 16 teams in the playoffs and shooting. They made 29% of their three pointers. They have no reliable volume three point shooters or low volume three point shooters, frankly on their team. Um, and they had the unique combination of Kyle Kuzma's poison pill contract, you know, a late first round pick. Um, as far as the package goes, I, I, I loved it because, um, if you go back and I think it was Sam Amick made with, I don't remember who he's on at the trade deadline. He was on podcast and he talked about how like Buddy Hield's market was non-existent in my mind. And I could get the quote perfectly. He basically said, expect Buddy Hield to be in a Kings uniform for a long time because no one wants him. Um, the Lakers wanted him. And now that deal is gone. We know that the Sixers were linked to Buddy, but the Sixers were linked to Buddy at the trade deadline and nothing came of that either. If my memory serves correctly. Um, so I, I think a market can develop for Heald. And the reason I liked this package today was, of course, the 22nd pick. But even without the pick, it's kind of hard in today's NBA to trade to trade a $24 million contract. But Heald's cap hold is like $23.5 million with incentives. That's kind of hard to trade. It's much easier to trade one or two $12 million contracts or $13 million contracts, which is what the Kings are breaking that contract down into. So sometimes even if you're trading a, a large contract and the two pieces you're getting back aren't necessarily combined as good as a buddy healed your financial flexibility and moving those contracts, you know, is, is great, is, is greatly increased. Um, as we've mentioned tonight, you know, buddy heel doesn't really have a place on this team anymore. If we can just like lay it out there, there's no place for him. He's not playing over Darren Fox. He's not playing over Tyrese Halliburton. He's not playing over Davion Mitchell. And I, I mean, so he's at least the fourth guard, maybe the fifth guard behind Delon Wright. Um, so he needs, he has to go. And so the Kings aren't like, if the Kings had traded Buddy Heald to the Lakers today, we would have seen Buddy flourish in LA. And we would have all been like, man, all we got was 22nd pick and a couple of role players. So Buddy Heald, you know, he's averaging 19 points a game. He's shooting 42% from the floor. He's, he's lighting it up for the Lakers, but that's, what's going to happen with Buddy when he moves. And we all just need to realize that assuming he goes to a contender because he's misused and out of he's out of place in Sacramento. And when he goes somewhere with smart coaching, somewhere with a better rotation, he he is going to floor. So, yeah, I think the Kings at this point they need to shed Buddy's deal for both short term and long term flexibility, um, and just for the sake of the roster, for the sake of chemistry, for the sake of the makeup of the team. You know, Kuzma could have come in and taken over Marvin Bagley's spot whenever Bagley's gone. Harrell could have come in as a backup center or a replacement for Rashawn Holmes. Now with that deal in the dust, um, as we mentioned tonight, the wing big man depth of this team is, is basically zero and we have a, a billion guards. So yeah, buddy has to go. And I, I think we just need to be prepared for the next package, frankly, being lower than that of the Lakers. 
Yeah, um, I, I thought there was a good chance Buddy got moved. I would have been ecstatic with that reported Lakers deal. Um, I thought there was a good chance Bagley could have been moved on from tonight, but that didn't happen. Um, when when you talk about the landscape of the West and the playoff race that the Kings are hopefully going to be in next year, um, what movement do you feel like happened tonight with those rest of the with the rest of those teams in the West there, Bryant, towards the bottom of the playoff race um, that that really affected? Um, who Sacramento is going to be competing against. Uh, I clearly love what the Warriors did. Um, I think when they took Jonathan Kuminga, I was a bit surprised that once again, the Warriors are going to be gambling on probably the Ross dude uh, at the top of the draft. But uh, I also think that if they can be patient, I think he can be an amazing player who really fits uh, alongside the uh, offensive creators already on that roster. And then they got Moses Moody at 14 and, uh, well, there's your immediate impact rookie, somebody who can get really space the floor and play high-level defense. I, I absolutely love what the Warriors did. I think they really jump-started both their long-term future and uh, probably took a step forward in, in being a meaningful um, contender for uh, a good mid-tier playoffs spot next year. Yeah, I think the, the Pelicans um, didn't do – too much for themselves, you know, and depending on how much you see Valanchunas as an upgrade compared to Steven Adams. And, and then they did take uh, Trey Murphy with that pick they moved down who should help, but I think their um, really change in trajectory from this season to next is going to come with what they do with that cap space they created with the trade, you know, reportedly um, going to be chasing Kyle Lowry there. I think Memphis um, taking Zaire Williams isn't going to have much of an impact next year. You know, I think they're still going to be hovering right around the Kings range. And I guess the Kings were a little tier below them last year. Um, San Antonio, um, Josh, Josh Primo, if there was one guy that was more surprising than uh, Davion Mitchell, it was Josh Primo at 12. Um, that one, yeah, I, I don't know. Actually, that was the funniest reaction because, Bryant, you were live with uh, D'Lo and Casey when, when these were going on. And I got to tell you, the Josh Primo one was, I think, my favorite face that you made. <laughs> that one just came out of left field. I was like, are you kidding me? I, I know that he's a favorite of a lot of smart people on draft Twitter, but come on, the lottery? You got to be kidding me. Yeah. Um, man, you know, I, I've been saying I'm going to try to be optimistic, but I feel like this is kind of a sad question. Tim, would you rather be in – the Houston Rockets situation right now or in Sacramento the Rockets tonight took uh, Jalen green also ended up with Usman Garuba, Josh Christopher. Um, who am I missing here? Alperen Shengun. That's the big one. Um, and they also have Kevin Porter jr. And Christian wood, which I mean, which team makes the playoffs first. Okay. So I'll, I'll take this part, this question kind of two ways. I per, I would take the Kings core over the Rockets core because I think De'Aaron Fox Whoa. is by far the best player of that bunch. I think he's he's better than anyone else. Like it's, I don't think it's even close to be honest. With you. And I think anytime you're looking at a rebuild, I'm going to take the highest ceiling player over multiple pretty good players. Um, and Tyrese Halliburton, I think, is going to be really. I probably am higher on Halliburton than the vast majority of Kings fans. Um, but let me. I'm going to. Um, preface that or, or put a fence up here and say, I think the Rockets still make the playoffs first because of the organization. So if that makes sense, like I, I would take, 
Halliburton, Fox, Mitchell over their core. I'm not going to try and remember all the players that they drafted tonight. Um, but I think the Rockets will make the playoffs first because just the Kings organization is incapable of finding a winning formula. And I, I don't have any faith that that will resolve itself anytime soon. Um, so yeah, I, I, I kind of surprised myself with that, but I, I think Fox has the highest ceiling of any player. So um, there's your optimism. You're welcome. I I ultimately agree with you, although I I sneakily love what the Rockets did tonight. Um, I would have taken Evan Mobley at two, but Josh, but Jalen Green makes sense. They clearly were enamored with the scoring potential. Um, and then they traded up and got Alperin Sengun at 16, I think. Um, and, and, you know, I, I have some concerns about Sengun, and they immediately alleviated them by taking Usman Garuba at 23. Uh, Garuba... Uh, Christian Wood and Sengun as your bigs for the future. And then you just throw Josh Christopher, another high octane scorer in there uh, with KCP. Like that's an amazing young core right there. Yeah. I I think, um, you know, that um, it's definitely promising there. Um, Okay. So came away with Josh Giddy, which was kind of surprising. I, 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 there was one more pick that kind of surprised me. Uh, why did the Suns take Daron Sharp? They, they already have a, a oh. floor spacing center off their bench. What are they um, doing? Did he not go to Brooklyn? Did he? I must have missed that. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. No, it's he, really he hard did. to keep up with all yeah, this. They, that was late first round. This 29th pick, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, he, the Suns traded that pick and oh, to the for Nets. Landry Shamit. Yeah. yeah. God, I really struggle to keep up with all the trades today. Well, that that trade broke right as the Lakers trade broke, I think. So, like, that one just nobody cared about it because who cares? Well, there's one more um, pick I want to talk about. Uh, I'm officially going to move to Memphis and become a Grizzlies fan because uh, Zaire Williams on that team, (laughs) if he hits anything close to his ceiling, he can be that second score next to Ja, and I love what they're building. Memphis is interesting to me because they always pick Twitter draft darlings, right? That's like their, that's like their MO <laughs> and they don't always work out like Jaron Jackson Jr. Mm, Jaron Jackson Jr. Healthy. Was injured this last year. Right, that's what I'm saying. He's, a, he's still a question he, though. He's still a question, right? Brandon Clark. Mm, good, but injured still kind of a question. So it's just interesting to me. Williams is just another guy that is, you know, he's going to make it or he doesn't, you know, it's, it's just interesting to me. I, Memphis is it a, is in a better place than Sacramento, both from a, a young roster perspective and from just like a success perspective. But it is interesting to me that they always pick draft Twitter darlings and draft Twitter darlings tend to be, you know, like um, high ceiling, you know, um, strong defender types, not always, um, yes. you know, multiple skill no, sets. No, that, that is the absolute truth. Yeah. <laughs> you and, could full stop. Yeah. And, and it's just, they always draft them. And then I, I, I was just thinking about it today, actually, after the pick Williams is like, well, you know, they, they put reportedly put Clark on the block today. We don't know how real that was. Um, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. has played really well, pretty well when he's played. Um, but he hasn't been who maybe we thought he might become because of the injuries. Um, so anyway, just total side note. So maybe you shouldn't become a Grizzlies fan. Come be a they, Suns fan with me in Phoenix. They just traded uh, uh, Valanciunas. So Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to get a lot more playing yeah. time. They and downgraded. 
<laughs> Major League. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna remind you of this next year. Um, yeah. and whoever worked with Brandon Clark to rework his jump shot for the fourth time in his career absolutely messed it up because last year his shot looked so dang good, and this year it looked absolutely horrible. And whoever did that needs to stay far, far away from Zaire Williams. Please do not do that shots. Never yep. rework your jump shot if it's successful. Wherever your form is, leave it. That's it took it 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 took Brendan Clark three separate iterations of his jump shot to get going. And then he came this year and he just looked like a completely different player. So after his second season, Darren Fox worked with the shooting coach to re- redo his form. And then the next year he sucked at shooting from the three point line. I don't remember yeah. what shooting coach it was. It was somebody like well known. I can't remember his name. But anyway. Yeah, me neither. I'm not over this. Just so everybody knows. You're not over the pick? No, this is bullshit. I'll never forgive Orlando for taking Franz. <laughs> oh. I truly I wonder. Franz. I truly wonder if Franz had been there. Um, I, I, two two questions. One, if Franz had been there for Sacramento, would the Kings have taken him over Davion Mitchell? I sure hope so. Um, and two, would all those people who threatened to stop being Kings fans uh, have rather have Franz right now? <laughs> yes. Was it it's, like? It's, I kind of like. Do you think there was actually anything to the whole like they like Franz, they they like Shangun, like Shangun fell, like Moody Moody fell. You know, like I think if you were really that interested, you could have tried to acquire another first rounder a little later. It's odd to me that the Kings didn't. If I can be honest with you, there were so many trades tonight. I don't know who. I legitimately don't know who's on my team. And the Kings, the Kings kind of have this like MO over the last few years where they just like everyone, we're all like, oh, if this person's available, do this, do this. And the Kings just like, no, we got our guy. We're good. Um, I I think Shangun was a, was an assumption. You know, every, every, if you go back and read the blurbs on the mock drafts, every one of them says Shangun does really well in analytics. The Kings are an analytically driven (laughs) front office, which no one even knows what that means. So, and, and, he reportedly did have a good workout in Sacramento. So I think people just kind of took those two facts. Oh, analytics, good workout. They might pick him. Um, the, the Franz interest seemed more real to me. Um, you know, we had like James Ham of NBCS talk about how they really liked Franz and he's a pretty connected guy, more connected than probably anyone else when it comes to like specific Kings news. So I think that interest was real. Um, and I, I would make the bold prediction to say, yes, if he had lasted nine, the Kings would have picked him tonight. I was sure would have hoped so, but uh, Davion Mitchell is a king, and he's going to be. It will not take him long to make his imprint in Sacramento. So, I really hope for his sake and for uh, the sake of Tyrese Halliburton and Darren Fox, the Kings move forward with a real idea of how to make all three of those guards really fit together cohesively on a roster, and what they need to do to continue to build that roster up to best utilize uh, the three youngest dudes in their. Uh, core moving forward yeah i guess there's a monty mcnair presser going on right now and it says uh they went with the best player available strategy for both davion mitchell and namia skeeta says davion's been on their radar for a long time and he reminds media that mitchell won a title with baylor in a three oh. lineup oh thank you thank you i had no idea <laughs> i don't the same thing that kendrick perkins was telling us <laughs> Jesus <Christ>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Mitchell worked out for the Kings. I don't have any confirmation of that, but uh, that is my feeling I get from his press conferences, both with the media and his ESPN and other interviews. I, I don't think he had a workout for the Kings. And I 
definitely don't think he expected to get drafted by the Kings tonight. It I didn't think he was seem like he did. Utter yeah. shock. Complete fact, and utter shock. The fact that the Kings worked out like half the first round and somehow didn't work out or even have great communication with yeah. the dude they took is uh, absolutely flooring to me. And he, you know, we should, I should say this, he could have worked out for them. You know, they had some like secret workouts. I put my fingers up in quotes when I said that because it all felt very silly and like secret agenty. Um, so he could have worked out with them, but there were, there were no confirmed reports. And Mitchell, when he was asked, did you work out for the Kings? He said, I would rather not discuss that in, in a very firm tone. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny. I remember earlier there was the reported um, Jared Butler dinner that the Kings had. Right. And Bryant was like, man, this is fine if they're considering him at 39, but I swear if they're having this dinner to talk about Davion Mitchell at nine. And I was just like, man, you are so paranoid and conditioned <laughs> to expect the worst because of this team. Hey, welcome and to holy uh, shit. Here we are. Welcome. Well, here's your, here's your, your Kings fandom. Moment, oh. Brendan. I, I've been saying some something was going to have to break me eventually, right? I meant to ask you earlier, were were you following the Kings with the Papianas pick? No, no, no. But like I, I've realized recently like how extremely crazy that was. Papianas, I remember watch. Um, we all remember watching. And I remember turning to my wife, who's not like a basketball person. And I was like, who the bleep is that? Like, <laughs> I had never heard it. Like, you're you're the thirteenth, I think it was thirteenth pick in the draft, and I had never heard of this person. It wasn't even like, oh, that's hey, you know, like guess, someone, yeah. Guess what? I barely heard of him. I couldn't never. even say his freaking name. I I literally yeah. dropped and then a we bottle of apple uh, of apple cider all over my floor. <laughs> you can say it was, was apple so. F- no, no. Back okay. then it was literally just cider. I was just who the hell is this guy? And then we all convinced ourselves it was Mark. It was Mark Gasol two so, like, not. where do we where do we go from here? Buddy needs to be moved on from, um, I, I guess, summer league. I'll say that I was listening to Prep to Pro earlier and um, finally put out another episode. Great podcast, by the way. Definitely check them out. Um, and they were talking about how you construct your summer league roster to really put the uh, main prospect that you're focused on in a situation similar to what they're going to experience in the NBA. And I think that'd be really interesting to do with Mitchell because he's going to be in a weird ass situation with these two other guards. Um, like I get, I get he did that a little bit of Butler, but I think it's just a different situation to have to guard NBA threes. Um, so I think that could be interesting. It's something I'm going to look for kind of the roster construction there, but we know we're going to have Mitchell. We're going to have Keto. We're going to have Jamias Ramsey. We are going to have Lewis King. We're going to have Robert Woodard. Um, I think the most underrated signing, I don't know why we haven't talked to this. The Kings have an on in a now. <laughs> the the one on the the one on the who uh, Yana said was going to be better than him. Very akin to when we signed Andrew Wiggins' brother for summer league, or Seth Curry. <laughs> Seth Curry, David Stockton. We're just going to get like the relatives, of all the good players, and hire the relatives of all the good players. I.e. Uh. Luke Walton. Um, yeah. To your, to your question, Brandon. The Kings just this roster is so wildly un- incomplete. Um, not not necessarily a bad thing. The offseason has not happened yet, so I don't. I'm not like in panic mode here. Um, but you have to move Buddy Healed, and everyone knows you have to move Buddy Healed. So this is a danger of what you did tonight. Is everyone knew Buddy Healed needed to go 
last trade deadline. And then everyone knew Buddy Heald needed to go on draft night. And as you get closer to the end of the season, or excuse me, the start of the season, the end of the summer, and as I'm sure Buddy Heald grows more and more uncomfortable in Sacramento, um, that market continues to deflate. So you got to get rid of Buddy Heald. I don't think you have to trade Marvin Bagley, but it's probably going to happen. And then the Kings really need to figure out how they're going to put this roster together. They have one small forward and it's Harrison Barnes and he's really a power forward. So who's your starting small forward? Um, who's your backup small forward? And if either of you say Mo Harkless, I'm quitting. <laughs> what, what's um, the core, Tim? What's the core? We've we've joked around about that wording a little bit. Um, so what's Fox Halberton and who else? Mitchell. Mitchell. That's it. Uh, if, if Holmes resigns for early birds, is he part of the core then? I know I wouldn't consider him part of the core. The core to me is like rookie scale or recently extended rookie scale play. Like, you know, young players. Sean Holmes is not young. Young players who you would probably not trade. Like that. that's kind of my definition of core. Where like, I, of course, I would trade Halliburton for a great player, but I'm probably not trading Halliburton. I'm probably not trading Fox. I'm probably not trading Mitchell. Would I look to trade Rashawn Holmes for Miles Turner in a heartbeat? So that's that's kind of where my line draws for a core is, am I likely to trade these guys? Are they on the younger side of their careers? Rashawn Holmes doesn't have the mileage of someone his age that has been playing in the NBA regularly, so there, that is that factor for him. Um, so he's like he's like the outer edge of the core. Is Jupiter still a planet? Is that far away from the sun? I don't know anything about <laughs> space. He's Jupiter, whatever planet's far away, assuming the sun's at the core. I don't know if that analogy just made me look really stupid, but um, <laughs> I made it anyway. There's the Irish whiskey speaking. Um, so yeah, that, that's where I'm at. Are, are you kind of the same boat, Brent? Yeah, I, the core is uh, De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, and uh, Davion Mitchell until proven otherwise. I think uh, if they manage to sign him to a multi-year deal uh i might put Rashawn holmes in that conversation just because like he's 26 he's young enough that he could be a meaningful player when this team not only just makes the playoffs but you know gets somewhere uh but like that's it lu king oh Luke king jesus christ lu king can be there no, <laughs> no, no robert woodard Look, robert woodard no robert woodard. you God. said who I, I will not trade robert woodard is number one in that category <laughs> Look, we're all going to find our optimism somewhere, man. This is the life <laughs> of a Kings fan. If we can't have the draftees that we want, we're going to overhype the uh, the dudes behind them. I can't tell you. I, I proposed some random trade like a week ago that had Robert Woodard included just as like a throw-in, and I cannot tell you how many. And it was for like a good player. I don't. It, it wasn't Miles Turner, but whoever it was, it was Miles Turner like level player. I cannot tell you how many people responded to me. Yeah, I'll do it, but not Robert <laughs> Woodard. And it's I like, feel like that's my fault. You yeah, it is your fault. It's your fault. It's it like the people that are like, oh well, we can resign Mo Harkless next year. You want to re like resign Mo Harkless to be your third forward, sure, but <sighs> we can always just get a Glenn Robinson. Like it's fine. Ugh, on the <laughs> side. So so if if that trio is your core, which I would agree with, what are what does the four and five need to be to accurately complement those guys? I think that your four needs to be an on-ball wing defender, like, because yep. nobody, like, Mitchell is not going to guard these high-level wing players, you know, like, it, not for extended periods. That can't be his assigned matchup. Um, I think the idea is you're putting Mitchell on one of the higher-level offensive guards and trying to hide one of Fox or Halliburton, probably Halliburton. So I think you need a high-level on-ball wing defender. 
Barnes, I guess, like kind of fits that, right? He's better on ball than off, I would say, on defense. Um, and, and I think you really need a high-level defensive center. And I also, by the way, if you run that three-guard lineup and you're switching everything, like how often are you going to end up with horrible mismatches there? I mean, like, yeah. I guess between the guards you would want to switch anyways, but I, I've always thought even with this two-guard lineup, it's not an ideal switch-everything scheme, and this is obviously the most ideal situation for Holmes um and, and I think especially when you're running three guards like that's just not the the best defense to run with so I, I think that you know to complement those three guys your four really needs to be a good on-ball wing defender and your five really needs to be a high level defender I think a better defender than what Holmes is yeah you know I think the Kings for the four spot would really need a guy like six nine six ten somebody who could really stay in front of both guards and wings. Hopefully, was able to do that at the collegiate level. Oh, like somebody a was also somebody was also <laughs> a floor spacer, and you know could pass a little bit. Just a generally high IQ instinct player on both ends of the court. But where you could know, they just, ever get one of those? Brian? Yeah, where could they have? Or, or you know, uh, a, a bigger small forward in terms of uh, reach and 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 defense. Uh, somebody who could really help space the floor because Davion Mitchell might not be able to do that as much. Well, you know that, that that either one of those guys would have been really good. What what about a what about like a really good defender, but he's only six one and a half. <laughs> See, I think the point of all of this is that I would absolutely have loved Davion Mitchell as a pick if he had been a second, first round pick, like at 14 or something and the Kings yeah. had gotten one of the wings and forwards that we've been talking about for weeks, but we're just, we're just a whole bunch of uh, uh, depressive old dudes who need to go back to drinking their uh, bourbon and whiskey and, oh, and, I, and rum, I guess. I'm sorry, Brendan. Wow. Yeah. You got, you got it on point here. Here's, here's another thing about the lineup that I think we need to consider that has not been mentioned rebounding. Who is going to rebound? Marvin Bagley. What do you mean? 20 rebounds a game. <laughs> I just, you know, if you bring back us on wide side. Yeah. Like if you're starting, that's a good point though. Not even, it's not even starting. If like your final eight minute lineup, like your fourth quarter final eight minute lineup is Fox, Halliburton, Mitchell, Barnes, Holmes. Uh, Halliburton's a solid rebounder for a two guard, but he's not a solid rebounder for an NBA player. Holmes is an average rebounder. He's actually probably a little bit of a below average rebounder. Barnes is not a great rebounder for his position. He's average to below average. You're going to get destroyed on the boards. And I'm not sure how you resolve that because the moment you start trending your four towards rebounding, you're probably losing that versatility on the defensive end that you need. If you, you can trend your five towards a strong rebounder and protector, and that's probably the best solution for Sacramento. But again, then you're losing some of your versatility with those smaller guards. If that big is going to get switched out. So, um, and rebounding is is I think it's probably a little bit overrated when we talk about teams like how important rebounding is but if you're a bad defensive rebounding team you get punished constantly because other you know if you go up against a DeMarcus Cousins-esque player and they just know that they can kill you on offensive boards you know they can get six seven offensive boards a games six seven offensive boards a game and you're really hurting yourself so that's just something else the kings need to consider fox is not a strong rebounder mitchell is not going to be a strong rebounder halliburton if he's at that two three slot he's not going to be a strong rebounder for those positions and then you got barnes and holmes that's just something for the kings to consider um and maybe a, a miles turner type player solves some of those issues and it is interesting that indiana did in fact 
acquire another center tonight. Yeah, I, and I think the answer, and uh, I, I think Turner actually has his rebounding struggles too, but I think the answer is you just kind of have to rebound by committee, right? Um, yeah. But but the struggle there is that the the trade-off is you're losing transition opportunities because the guys aren't leaking out if every single person is helping rebound. And obviously, Darren Fox is a person I think you want to get in transition opportunities as much as possible. I think the counter would be that Mitchell is going to lead to more turnovers, and therefore that's where you're going to get your more um, transition opportunities, and those are more um, typically more efficient transition opportunities, more advantageous as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- that's definitely something that that's going to need to be worked on. And, and maybe the answer is you're playing Namiya Skita 30 minutes a game. <laughs> Rebounder right there. Robert Woodard, 40 minutes a game. I'm telling you. That's, uh, Rob- yeah, he actually has a good rebound. I know. Oh, let's 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 in the G uh, Brendan's gonna Brendan's <laughs> gonna get a lineup of uh Mitchell, Fox, Halliburton, Woodard, and Kata. Oh god. That'd Trade be fun. For TJ Warren and I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a small forward? Are you kidding me? Uh, we don't One of the Kings here. emphasize that. Yeah. Justin Jackson. We need Justin Jackson back. Okay. okay. Yeah. If, if I can do one last depressive moment here. In the entire time that I've been paying attention to the Sacramento Kings draft cycle, which has been 15 years, every year they've been in the lottery, the Kings have drafted two forwards, <laughs> Omri Caspi and Justin Jackson. And I had somebody come at me the other day and was like, Jason Thompson's a forward. No, dude, he's a freaking big. That's not what I'm talking about. Are you kidding me? Marvin Bagley. We're... we're <laughs> We're we're a small forward centric league. Are you kidding me? This roster has Harrison Barnes on it, and I guess Lewis King. What is going on, man? Why can't we, we have small forward? Forwards? Why, why can't one. why why can't we? This has been through like four GMs at this point, and none of them have ever emphasized getting a goddamn small forward. Yeah, can I bounce off that point actually? Because I have a little. Yeah. Rant that I've been thinking about tonight. Can can you would you, would you guys agree that to a certain extent, maybe not as extreme as other times, but tonight the Kings zigged when everyone else is zagging. Would you agree with that? I think it feels that way, but like in what aspect do you mean? Like in the aspect that most teams, if they had De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton on the roster, probably would not have drafted Davion Mitchell. Yeah. Okay. The Kings do this all the time. They did it all the time under Vladi Divac. They did it. They've done it under Bonnie McNair. They zig when everyone else is zagging. And then you can like get this feeling that they're like, ha ha, I did something clever. And it never works out. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. And you know, you go, you go through King's Twitter, which is a, not the place to go for great analysis all the time. And they're like, well, just trust in what Monty's doing. And it's like, no, he hasn't earned that trust. But do you Kings. think that, that that whole like thing needs to reset when you move to a new GM? You have the same owner. Right, mm-hmm. right. You have the same infrastructure. Yeah. I, I think to a certain extent you can, you know, when Monty onboarded, we were like, okay, cool. Fix all of Vadi's mistakes and get us to a winning spot. I'm not holding Monty McNair accountable for Luka Doncic, right? I'm not holding him accountable for Buddy Heald's deal. Um, at the same time, the organization in and of itself, there's a lot of the same players, right? We have a lot of the same players within the organization that were here two, three, four years ago. And so I, I do agree to a certain extent that resets at the same time, Right. If Monty McNair is coming into a bad organization with a bad team, a bad roster, and a bad winning percentage, and he goes through a season and nothing improves, 
I kind of sit back and go, okay, you did nothing. If I can be honest with you. Sure. You got DeLon Wright. You got Terrence Davis. Good for you. They're fine rotational players, but nothing really happened. You drafted Tyrese Halliburton. That's great. But if, if you kind of catch my drift here, um, trust is earned, right? Like benefit, benefit of the doubt is earned. And I, I don't, I wouldn't go as far as to say Monty Minera has earned my distrust, although maybe a little bit, it's more a matter of he has, he also hasn't earned my trust. He hasn't done anything that's made me go, okay, okay. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to trust you on this, right? Like if, if Sam Presti did something that was like a little bit out of the box or let's, let's be honest, the Spurs tonight. Right. Well, yeah, he did it. Right. The Spurs took Primo at 12 tonight and everyone kind of went, Oh, that's crazy, but it's the Spurs. So maybe it'll work out. Right. You know, he took Giddy yeah. at six. He, he traded one pick for two more picks. And we're like, okay, Sam Presti can do that. Cause he has, he has gained that credibility. I don't think the Kings have that credibility. And that doesn't mean that the pick was wrong tonight. What it means is that personally, this is just coming from a personal standpoint. I can't get on board with just trust in him. Give him till the end of the off season. give him till next trade deadline. I'm looking for results right now. And those results don't have to be wins on paper necessarily. They just have to be progress. And so um, I just don't think Monty McNair, and it's not necessarily even a fault of his own, that he just hasn't earned that trust with me. I think he's made some really poor decisions, especially over the last few months, that have made me distrust his decision-making a little bit. So I, I'm, I'm not going to go out there and say, I'm going to trust this team. No one should trust this team after a 15-year playoff drought. Um, <laughs> you can have optimism. But there's just there's there's no buildup of credit with me, and I, I think that's most of King's Twitter. And if you're a person that trends more towards optimism, you go, man, why can't we just trust that they did the right thing? I think that's a perfectly fine take. Monty McNair is new at the job; he is a highly respected person within the league. Um, but for me personally, I just need to see more from him before I'm going to trust in his controversial decision making. I think Tim, it's a I, 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 I will, <laughs> Oh, for I, sure, one hundred percent. I, I need to break this to Tim right in the middle of Tim um, Tim's oh. very detailed uh, rant about Monty McNair. Uh, it, I was informed in the Kings Herald Slack that uh, Monty McNair called out both Greg and that giraffe guy on Twitter during his uh, post draft. Wait, what? <laughs> Hell yeah, <laughs> dude! Why do Kings GMs? Man, they really. Quick, I don't know if love is the word, but our, our buddy Akis has the line. Quick point before we go. Gregory Wissinger, G Wiss on Twitter, and I don't know if that baby Whoa. giraffe guy is here, but I see you guys. I love the passion. <laughs> what are some whoa, some of these quotes? McNair said this is from Jason Jones. McNair said no, Davion no, Mitchell no, no. was Greg already Greg already disproved that. The four don't, position. Okay, yeah, okay, don't okay. put that out. Don't 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 put yeah, that yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I started ranting about it in the Slack, and Greg okay. said no. He was making the point about how he guarded four positions in college. In college, yeah. I'm just glad I wasn't in the Zoom tonight. Yeah, that would have yeah. been really embarrassing. Greg was in there. I wasn't in there. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Greg. I don't, I think, I don't um, ever attend media sessions. The one other quote um, that stood out to me right now, and you know, I, I think that it's obvious that Mitchell is a guy they're looking for, like an immediate impact. And I think there's going to be questions, you know, kind of swirling around like is is ownership really pushing like they have to win right now? Is that something that McNair knew or maybe planned for coming into the job? And maybe Gupta was the guy that wanted to be more patient, right? I've seen that potentially thrown out there as an idea. Um, but quote from McNair, um, a younger prospect has more time to develop, but Davion is already there. I think for his age, he far exceeded what you would expect, end quote. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously trying to make a jump this next year but it's not really in a position of need like say whose minutes is he replacing buddy heels let's say right how, how many more 
wins does that get you this year? Like any two? Like is it really that many? I don't think so, unless uh, Davion Mitchell is a uh, defensive savant and comes in and just completely changes everything about what how the Sacramento Kings played defense last year. There was a really smart tweet tonight that I'm going to read from Jay Burdick32. I retweeted it too. He said, my main problem, or she, excuse me, I don't know your gender. My main problem is that you're looking, if you're looking for the home run swing, there were better picks. And if you're looking for the safest guy, there were better picks. I think that's, that's yeah. what tonight comes down to. Like, if you wanted a win now player, there were better fits. There was a Moses Moody out there. There were a couple of guys out there, right? If you wanted a home run swing or even a defensive-minded player, there were better picks. You know, there, it, that's what Mitchell, I think, just makes us all struggle to connect the dots is that, there was just other options everywhere that seemed like they would have been more cohesive to what the Kings need. And, and as we all say, every time we criticize the Kings or criticize Monty McNair, hopefully we're proven wildly wrong. And I think Bryant said it earlier, we're laughing at ourselves in a year that we were so stupid to doubt Davion Mitchell and he's a superstar. And I mean, that's where we all want to end up. Yeah, Brian, I want to ask you when it comes to this, um, you know, there were better guys there, there were better guys that were going to have a more immediate impact. Um, do you think that's true? Like, I get the fit with Franz and, and Moody is better, or we'll take uh, Franz out of this, but Moody, Book Knight, like, are, is Mitchell having the highest production out of all of those guys year one? Uh, I think it's definitely a possibility. Like, I don't want to sit here and say that Davion Mitchell is not an immediate impact player. The concern only is how much does another guard when you factor in trying to have find the minutes with Darren Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, how much of an impact does any uh, rookie guard have here? Like the upside when you and I were talking about Moses Moody and Franz Wagner being immediate contributors, like half of that was because they both played a position and a role of need for Sacramento. And I'm not going to say that Davion Mitchell doesn't, have a real fit on this roster as a point of attack defender. Lord knows the Kings need that, but how many minutes a night is Davion Mitchell playing? And can you close lineups with Davion Mitchell, the Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halbert and be meaningfully successful at that? That's the concern. I think Davion Mitchell is as NBA ready as any dude in this class. It's all comes down to fit and roster construction. Yeah. All right. Final thing. Let's be let's be basic here and put a grade on it. How do you feel? I, I mean, it's it's got to be a shitty grade to be honest. Like, it's a D plus. Uh, I'll just I'm I'll, real disappointed. I I was so shocked. I, I'm just gonna give it a flat C minus and 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 cross my fingers and and hope that the optimistic outcome. You know, I see positives in the selection. And I'm just going to cross my fingers and pray that those come to fruition because I want to love Davion Mitchell. Lord knows I'll go buy his Baylor yeah. jersey tomorrow and hang it up on the wall. And in 30 years, I'll be like, kids, did I ever tell you about how the greatest Sacramento King of all time kicked the other crap out of Gonzaga in the championship game? <laughs> I would love to be saying that in 30 years. Come on, give that to me, Kings. But I, I just truly worry about the roster construction and the fit moving forward. And I didn't consider him the best player available. So it, it was a, a C minus for me. 
my my feelings towards the pick are an F. Like my just raw emotion is like, what the hell? Um, my like my more analytical perspective probably goes like C minus D plus because like Brian said, I could I can see it working out. There are a lot of variables that need to line up, and I hate it when the Kings put them in positions. And they always do this where a lot of variables need to line up for something to work out well. Um, so I'm gonna I'll, I'll give it a D plus because I I just think there were such better choices out there from a fit perspective. Um, I can't appreciate Monty McNair having the balls to go for his BPA guy, even though he knew you he had to know that this would be the reaction for the majority of the fan base, even from a lot of media members. Um, but yeah, emotions F, analytical perspective maybe a D plus C minus. Yeah, I, I find my peace in knowing that I'm really gonna enjoy. Davion Mitchell like it's going to take one summer league game I think you said this exactly earlier Bryant it's going to take one summer league game for the team to for the fan base to just absolutely fall in love with him like he's going to make my the viewing experience for Sacramento Kings greater than it was last year and that's just where I'm finding my peace in this even if I lord knows I would have given anything to be watching Franz Wagner or Moses Moody Um, but I, I really do think I am going to enjoy watching Davion Mitchell I like him as a player it's obviously the fit that is going to be drilled nonstop. And yeah, who knows? Um, I guess you can say he, he did check Cave Cunningham. So if you, if you want to be optimistic, uh, I guess maybe you have Patrick Beverly defender here. So, but yes, um, any final thoughts, guys? Anything else we got here? Um, I, I look forward to Davion Mitchell proving us all wrong. Things have a lot of work to do. Not with Mitchell, oh. just with the roster. Oh, a lot of work to do. Yeah, this is not this is not close to a competitive roster. It doesn't mean they can't get there, but they have a lot of work to do. Definitely. Um, I'll also say I'm excited for Summer League. Um, I want to see these guys. You know, um, Summer League might be the best roster fit that Davion Mitchell has all year. So we'll see how this goes. Um, but yes, thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the Kings Pulse Podcast. Um, all the work of the Kings Herald that that we've been putting out pre-draft and obviously conversations going on about Mitchell, his fit and things that'll continue to happen throughout the off seasons, as I'm sure more news drops for the Kings. Um, coverage is always going on there. So take a peek at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Post podcast, please subscribe, rate and review, and you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days. <laughs>